everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday and ready for the weekend. Of course, before we close out to the next couple of days, there are some things that I want to talk about on the podcast to wrap up the week. I'm going to be getting into the Top Gun Maverick Rotten Tomato scores that have been really, really doing well. I'm going to talk about potentially what that means for the movie, the anticipation, the hype and a lot more going into that. Also, the full cast for Francis Ford Coppola's brand new film, Megapolis, is all set and ready to roll. I'm also going to be getting into some Obi-Wan Kenobi news that now that we are only weeks away from the first two episodes premiering on Disney+, and so much more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is actually breaking news at around the time that this podcast is recording, and it comes from us from Deadline Hollywood, and the, one of the big movies and big stories that have been happening over the last couple of weeks is the controversial production issues that have been happening over at the brand new Fast and Furious film, Fast 10, or as the title and the poster have called it, Fast X. And of course, the big talk has been about Justin Lin retiring from directing. He it seems like he had a lot of creative issues with Vin Diesel, with the studio, and they decided to go in a new direction. Direction They brought on a brand new director and Louis Latier, who has done action films like The, tra- tra- the Transporter 2 with Jason Statham. He's done Now You See Me. And of course, if you're a Marvel fan, he's done The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. So he definitely has some expertise in the field. So that's been kind of dominating the headlines over this film that, of course, is a part of a billion-dollar franchise, one of the biggest ones for Universal and Hollywood, and it attracts, for the most part, a lot of A-list talent, and that was also one of the big things reported on in this, in the story behind all of this is that this production has reportedly cost over $300 million before even marketing goes into it for if there are any kind of reshoots that they might have to do with this film because you're bringing on talent like Jason Momoa, Brie Larson, you have Charlize Theron coming back to this, to this franchise again. Then, of course, you got the main ones like Vin Diesel, Jordana Brewster. You have Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Ludacris. You have Tyrese Gibson. Everyone's coming back to this. And so there's been a lot of issues with it. But it seems like everything as of right now is, is all good and ready to go. But it seems like they're still filling out some of the cast. And according to Deadline, they added in a brand new addition to this family. And that is in the Reacher actor, Alan Richardson, who is in the hit show right now on Amazon, Jack or Reacher, playing the title role, Jack Reacher. He was also in a, a comedy show long ago in, in Blue Mountain State. He was also in the show Titans. So he's been around a little bit, but he hasn't really kind of broken through yet. But it seems like Reacher might have done that for him. And he's now starring in a big blockbuster. And there's no details on what character he's playing, whether it's one of the villains or somebody that joins Tom Toretto and his family and his gang. But either way, regardless of who he's playing, I'm a big fan of Alan Richardson. And again, he's somebody that has flown under the radar for a long time. And hopefully this show is able to help break him through to the mainstream because I'm really happy to see him in this in this movie. He fits the the physical role uh, definitely. I mean, he's big, he's muscular. He can go alongside Vin Diesel and and whether John Cena comes back or Momoa, whether they're they're together fighting Dom or he's fighting Jason Momoa, whatever's going to be happening, he definitely fits it phys- physically. But also, he's actually a really good actor too. He actually is able to, I think, bring some kind of complexity and some.
some good things to a character. He definitely has the charisma to do it as well. So I think this is a great hire, and hopefully for him, he comes on board for this film, and it's and it's a lot smoother now than it was maybe a, a week or two ago. So hopefully it's all smooth sailing for here for him for the rest of the cast, and we'll see if we get any more additions because there's still a lot of people that are already part of this movie. But I'm really happy for him. Hopefully this is just a next step for him and becoming a mega star because he deserves to be one. He's somebody that I think, again, has has had these kind of roles that you think it's the one that's going to put him over the top and hopefully this is just the next step for him getting to that area so again just breaking news that came in a new addition coming into the fast 10 film what do you guys think about the addition of alan richardson let me know down below and leave your thoughts and then continuing on to the topic in terms of casting announcements yesterday there was the major announcement that came in kind of the final main piece for the next installment in the hit film Dune, in which we're getting the second part coming out in October of next year, 2023. And the first part, Dune, which had a lot of pressure on it, it was only shot as one part. It's a mega story that it encapsulates a a huge book that was done by Frank Herbert many years ago. It's the inspiration for a lot of the sci-fi that we see today, including things like Star Wars and also Game of Thrones and Lord of the... Well, not really Lord of the Rings because J.R.R. Tolkien was way before even Dune's time as well, but really kind of Game of Thrones and and, and Star Wars and the sci-fi elements kind of clashing in with all these houses and interpolitical systems that are going on across the galaxy. And of course, it's being directed by Denis Villeneuve, who did, who did an incredible job with this film. And he got a lot of Oscar nominations for it this past season. It had 10 nominations, the one tied with the second most of this past year's Oscars. And it did nab the most wins of the night, kind of bringing in and raking in all the technical awards as well. They're also one best editing, and it came away with six wins in total. And so there's a lot of anticipation on what, the, how they're going to do this second part. And if you're a big Dune fan, you kind of know how the story goes. But if you just watch the movie and you're excited about where the story can go, how it can wrap up, how it's going to deliver on all the cliffhangers that were done in part one, there's some elements that were teased in part one that we're going to see come to fruition in part two. And one of those things is the emperor who was very much talked about in the movie, but we didn't get to see who played him or who he actually was. And now we're going to be seeing that in part two and one of the last bit of casting news for this was casted the emperor because they already cast two other main key parts for the second half of the story in the emperor's princess who's being going to be played by florence Pugh, and one of the cousins for house harnikin which includes uh, includes characters like dave batista and alexander skarsgård's in that role as well so or, or stellan skarsgård excuse me and so austin butler is going to be set to play in that house he has a major part in the film as well and so the emperor was the final piece of the puzzle and they were able to get one of the most acclaimed performers and actors of all time i think and that of course is the one and only christopher walken and when if you know who the emperor is if you know the details about him and the re- and other adaptations that have come like in david lynch's adaptation of the book in his film in the 80s it's definitely a interesting hire 
to get Christopher Walken. And I have no doubt that he's going to crush it. But if you know the mannerisms that Walken goes with, it's not really somebody who has a brooding sense when you get somebody of Walker's caliber. But I think what Villeneuve might be going for is maybe something a little bit more, maybe not kooky, but maybe a little bit more wonky. And he wants somebody that maybe has a little bit more charisma that the Emperor might be able to bring to that role. And so, again, if you get somebody like Christopher Walken to do this, I'm on board no matter what. And like, But it's still a very interesting choice. But I also trust what Denny's vision is. And if he thinks that Florence Pugh is right to play the princess, which, again, that's A-list casting. That's top-notch. Great for him to get that. To get Austin Butler as well, who's going to, I think, really break out after Elvis comes out next month. I think he really did a good job going really three for three with, with this casting. And he's still got some of the major key pieces coming back from the last film, such as Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, who's going to have a major part in part two after just kind of being a more limited supporting role in the first part. And then, of course, you have Josh Brolin coming back. You have Rebecca Ferguson, Javier Bardem. So even though you don't have some of the key characters like Jason Momoa and Josh Brolin coming back from part one, you're still adding on and replacing those those pieces with actors like Florence Pugh, Austin Butler, Christopher Walken. And I'm really excited to see where this goes. And I'm sure for a lot of people, this is going to be one of their most anticipated films of 2023. I'm very curious, of course, to see what the box office performance of this film. Now that kind of hopefully by October of next year, the pandemic is almost completely gone to this point. We're out of the kind of the pandemic era of the box office and we're hoping this can track even better or what we thought it could do if the pandemic wasn't as big as it was, especially in October of last year. So there's a lot of a lot riding on this. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the actual reception of this film is going to be. Is Can the day and date actually have helped gain awareness for this next part of the film? And so it's going to be very interesting to see. But I think the fact that you got Denis Villeneuve back, he has a vision for this. Even though this wasn't shot back to back, he already had ideas formulating of how he was going to shoot the second part. Even if the box office was going to crash and it didn't get a lot of subscribers for HBO Max, he just had ideas even if the film wasn't going to actually come to fruition. But it was able to do that. And we're going to be getting the end of this story, at least. I know for Denny, he has in mind a trilogy where he wants to do the first three books. Books, uh, or really kind of the first two books, even though it's going to be a trilogy. And that those two books, it's going to be Dune and then it's Dune Messiah. And that kind of tells the whole story in regards to Paul Atreides' arc. So I know he wants to kind of tell both of those stories and kind of have this be his Paul Atreides trilogy. So we'll see if he's able to do that. But I think the fact that we're getting this conclusion to this one story is in and of itself spectacular. And hopefully, not even hopefully, I, you know he's going to hit it out of the park. But hopefully people go see what he's able to accomplish with this next part. But in terms of Christopher Walken, uh, a a great casting choice. I mean, from from Deer Hunter to his work on Tarantino films, he's just he just delivers every single time. It's going to be interesting to see the kind of emperor that he brings to the table. But when you have somebody like his caliber, you know, it's going to be something really good. And to see that relationship between Christopher Walken and Florence Pugh, that's going to be really interesting to see, too. So a lot of cool stuff happening happening with this film. It's getting the ball rolling. They're in pre-production. Before we know, we're probably going to be getting set, set pictures of this and what's going on. So a lot of great stuff coming in the midst for the Dune franchise. What do you think about Christopher Walken getting the role of the Emperor? Do you think it's the right choice? Do you think they could have gone with somebody else? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And then moving on over from the world of 
Dune over to the world of the military and specifically the world of Maverick and his sequel in Top Gun Maverick. And this film is the after Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is now out for people to see, is coming on Memorial Day weekend. And it is the next big temple for this summer movie season. It's a film that was supposed to come out in 2019, but then got delayed to 2020. Then the pandemic, like everything else, just blew everything up. And we're now we're at the point where it went through a couple delays, and now it's finally ready to come out in on Memorial Day weekend of this year. And it's it's been a crazy couple of weeks so far, I think, in anticipation for this film. I was really excited. I've loved the trailers, and I think a lot of people have been interested in this. I think especially people who love the first film. It's a cult classic. It's really the film that's defined of giving Tom Cruise to that A-list status as a superstar. And so there, there's a lot of nostalgic feelings for this franchise and for this film and for the characters. And so you knew that this was going to be a play that people were going to go see this. It's a matter of how many people are going to see this. And I always say for a film, to get more money and to get more people invested, you got to appeal to the general audience. And the best thing about that and the big thing to do about that is getting word of mouth out there. Especially the film is great and there's a lot of word of mouth. That's the best way to get more people to come to the theaters to see this film. Well, I had a feeling this film, I have not seen the film yet, but I had a feeling that it would seem like a good film. I mean, Tom Cruise is somebody who picks his films wisely. He works with the best people that he knows that will deliver. And so you knew this was gonna be somewhat good. Could it be as good as the original, even better? Who knows? But then they had the first screening happen at CinemaCon a few weeks ago when people were able to see the film for the first time. And again, when I talked about it, when we talked about the Paramount recap panel of that convention, and I was shocked by the overwhelming amount of reviews, positive, like outstanding phenomenal reviews that were coming out for the film. And it was only social media reactions. And again, sometimes more positive social media reactions could come out. The negative ones, it's really about when more people see the film and then the full embargo comes out, they really get an idea of what a lot of people think. And it seems to be consistent that this is an overly, overwhelmingly positive result for the film and for Paramount Pictures. And as of right now, with around 47, or actually not 47, 75 reviews, and on the critics' side, it holds a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that is a huge, significant jump from the first Top Gun that only holds a 57% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. And I've been hearing some incredible things about this film. And just hearing some of the behind the scenes stuff of a lot of it was shot practically. Everyone was in the cockpits. They really kind of reinvented how to do aerial sequences with cameras. And like a lot of Tom Cruise movies nowadays, they push the envelope of stunts, of filmmaking, action sequences. All that is pushed when you have a top Tom Cruise at the helm. And it seems like all that was serviceable to this. And people have been raving about this film left and right. And so that gets me excited for this movie. And in terms of the Rotten Tomatoes score, when we talk about big jumps from original film to sequel, according to some of the insiders here, uh, the only ones that had that huge significant jump was the first Ouija film, which was this horror film that came out a few years ago, to its sequel that had a major jump from apparently 6% on Rotten Tomatoes to 83% in the sequel. And then that's around a 77% jump according to the metrics. And then in terms of the Suicide Squad films from the 
2016 film, which was directed by David Ayer. That was at 26%. And then the one that came out last year, which was written, directed by James Gunn, that came in at a 90%. And that was around a 64% jump from original to sequel film. And it seems like for Tom, for, for Tom Cruise and for Top Gun, it's in that same ballpark, especially more so around the Suicide Squad numbers where it's probably more of a probably a, a 40% or so jump in terms of the score and again that's just remarkable in the fact that a film that maybe came out a little too late this was a film that was really in development hell and it lost its director to, from tragedy and Tony Scott and it was uh, Tom Cruise maybe didn't want to do this film and, and did they really need to do a, a sequel to this movie and it seems like they found they found something and it seems like it's serviceable people are loving this movie and it's going to be very interesting to see if it's able to reciprocate in box office sales in money and is this going to be the first film as people are wondering that tom cruise has hit over 100 million dollars in his opening weekend and that's kind of crazy to think about in his filmography none of his films on opening weekend have hit over 100 million dollars and this is one of the biggest movie stars not just of today but of all time when we think of tom cruise and the a-list star that he's brought to a lot of movies and again over the last couple of years really last decade or so or even more than that of being able to just to just deliver for the audiences and he's never had a hundred million dollar movie and this could be the one that does it and if you were to ask me that a year ago two years ago i would have said you're crazy and again it has not happened yet but with these reviews it just when things like this happen based off of other successes usually when a film garners a lot of critical claim it gets people excited and when you hear all these overwhelming reviews general audiences want to be like well i want to be a part of this experience i want to be able to talk about this and that's how you get buzz going for a movie and that's one if you want something that can market a movie on its own that's free press that's something that it that it is able to do and i think that is what we're potentially going to be seeing with top gun maverick in the next couple of weeks and it's right around memorial day again saluting veterans and and people in the military they knew the spot that they were going for with this i think it's going to be big it fits that summer feeling right around that time of the year people kicking off their summer season in the best way possible being outside and barbecuing it has those vibes in this movie and in this franchise like the original film did as well. So it could be in for a monster opening weekend and a really good run potentially at the box office for this film. And these reviews, I think, are just going to help it along the way. Now, is it going to stay at 96%? We'll see what happens. I'm very curious at also what the audience score is going to be when this film comes out because those will outweigh what happens in terms of how many reviewers are going to be coming in between the audience and critic store. So we'll see what happens, but this could be some really big boosts for this film in the next couple of weeks. What do you guys think about the Rotten Tomato score for Top Gun Maverick? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the next thing that I want to talk about is moving on back to the, the, the call sheet, the casting call sheet, and talking about another major film that has officially set their cast and hopefully will be getting production soon on a film that has been long, long in the wings to be developed over the last 
probably two or three decades or so, and that is Francis Ford Coppola's Megaopolis. And there's been a lot of rumors over the last few months that Francis Ford Coppola was kind of gearing up for his cast to be official for this movie. There were a lot of rumors and speculation that Oscar Isaac was once sent to be the main lead in the film, but he had, I think, drop out of that potentially for scheduling issues, and Zendaya was in the running to be the male, the, the female lead, and Kate Blanchett was a part of it as well. And maybe those rumors were true or not, but it seems like things fell out with that cast, but Francis Ford Coppola has been able to corral a whole bunch of new people to this, and it seems like they're locked in and ready to go. And he has a pretty interesting cast for this. I like the the diversity in the cast, but I love the I love the experience that he's bringing with this. He's got in his male lead role, it seems like Adam Driver from House of Gucci, the Star Wars sequel trilogy, Marriage Story is set to be the main lead in this film. He's also got um, he's got Natalie Emmanuel from the Game of Thrones franchise, also part of the Fast and Furious films as well. Forrest Whitaker is a part of this cast, Lawrence Fishburne, and the one and only John Voight. So just on those names alone, that's an incredible starting lineup for your cast right there. If you were to have a starting five in the NBA, that's a really good lineup to have for your starting cast. And, and so I'm really excited to see what they're going to be able to do in this film. We don't know who the who the, the what the roles are, who they're going to be playing. But if you know the history of this film, it's 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 been on a very interesting journey throughout the decades. And just to kind of get the logline out of out of the way for the film for a sec, it's basically according to what the what the trades are saying, the logline for the film is the fate of Rome haunts a modern world unable to solve its own social problems in this epic story of political ambition, genius, and conflicted love. And I'm somebody who has studied Francis Ford Coppola for many years. When I was at college, I took an in, in authorship class for Francis Ford Coppola. We went over his entire filmography from what he did before The Godfather, what he did during that time period when he did Apocalypse Now, even when he did films like The Outsiders and some of the films that he just had to do to do and some of his his films that he did in the 2000s, just a small indie films that you wouldn't think Francis Ford Coppola would do, but he did them at the time and, and he took a long break and over the last five or so years he's really been recutting and redoing a lot of his older movies like he did a complete edition of Apocalypse Now where it was kind of the film that he always wanted to make it was remastered redone recut he also redid The Godfather Part 3 which is now called in his eyes Godfather Coda The Death of Michael Corleone where he really kind of played with what he wanted that vision to fully be in 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 what he wanted the original idea to be when he and Mario Puzo wrote the script for that film and that it was really kind of an epilogue for that movie and then recently in this year in February it was the 50th anniversary for the first Godfather film and he was kind of making his press for that film. They remastered it for more modern times and it was played at Dolby screenings which I went to and it was fantastic to see it on the biggest screen possible and surround sound. It was amazing. And But now he's looking towards the future and what could be what he's always seen really 
as his magnum opus. And I remember hearing about this in, in college and when and, and just in general in a lot of books that I read about him, that he's always wanted to make this movie. Megaopolis has really been, like I said, his magnum opus, his his masterpiece that he's always wanted to make, that he's always had on his mind, but he just can never get it funded. Nobody no studio would want to pick it up. And then I remember hearing that in the early two thousands, it was a film that was going to get off the runway and, and start being developed. But then the tragedy event of 9-11 happened and because at the time I don't know based off this logline if it's still taking place in New York but it was basically about remastering New York City into this other kind of utopia and because of the tragic events that befell the Twin Towers it was not the right time to be doing that kind of movie so he shelved it and it hasn't been brought up but over the years it's there's been small sparks here and there that he could be trying to get this film made and it seems like he's going to be doing it now. He's going to be funding it himself, which for the latter half of his career, he's, he's funded his own movies for the most part. And he's done it the way that he's wanted to do it. And the fact that this could be his last movie, his last hurrah, I mean, he's in his 80s. It's He hasn't done a lot of filmmaking over the years other than kind of re-editing and remastering his previous work. So it's first, I mean, it's going to be great, A, if this hopefully does happen, to get hopefully one last new Francis Ford Coppola film. Because again, when we celebrate him, we look back on his previous work, especially what he did in the 70s. And I don't, I don't think people realize how great of a filmmaker he is right now. I mean, we watch the Godfather films, we watch Apocalypse Now, they're masterpieces of cinema. But to actually see something happen for the first time, I haven't gotten that. I know a lot of people, obviously in my generation, have never seen that before, and, and even a little bit older as well. So the fact that we would be able to get this would be a, a true honor. And if this is his last film, it's great that he gets to go out on a film he's always wanted to do. I remember hearing about creative art, concept art that he had in the ideas of how he would want to set up this utopia, this society that he wanted to tell within this film. So the fact that this is actually happening and he's got a great cast to go alongside him. I mean, Adam Driver is one of the best actors out there right now. He's an, an award-nominated one. He's a prestigious actor that loves doing these kinds of movies that can challenge you as a performer, but also challenge you on the set and within the artistic creativity of what you want to do. And for Natalie Emanuel, I mean, she's somebody who hopefully can break through as a big star because she's in a lot of these franchise films. And she's a good actress on her own as well. And then you got the legends like Forrest Whitaker, Fishburne, and, and Boyd to go alongside of it, it that you couldn't ask for something better than that for this movie that you're going to be funding yourself and from his wine vineyards and other businesses he can do that now and he's probably corralled enough money to be able to do that so i'm really happy that we get to see this genius at least maybe for one last time go out for one last ride and and do the film that he's always wanted to do and fulfill it in some kind of a way from what i've heard from the trades it's around under a hundred million dollars that he's making this for which actually surprises me considering the ambition that he has for this film but i'm really excited for it and we have no release date we don't know who's going to be picking up what studio might pick it up there's no there's nothing else that we know about this but hopefully it gets made in the next couple of years and we get to finally see this vision from one of the great filmmakers of all time come to life in what probably could be his swan song in a way because I'm sure after this he's 
done filmmaking and this is really just him fulfilling a passion that he has had for the longest time so hopefully we do get this film in the next couple of years what do you guys think about the cast for francis ford coppola's megapolis let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts now moving on to the final topic on the sam Bissell podcast to wrap up the week before heading into the weekend and of course we can't finish off without talking, of course, about A Galaxy Far, Far Away. And one of the most highly anticipated titles of this upcoming month to start off the summer season, and that is on the television side, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, which, again, I've always said to me, this is the most anticipated title in Disney Plus's history so far since they launched. It's bigger than Mandalorian. It's bigger than any MCU Disney Plus show so far. This is the title in terms of pre pre-anticipation people have been looking forward to when it was first announced and people have been clamoring for it and then after Disney Investor Day when it was announced that Hayden Christensen will be coming back as Darth Vader hearing that we would be getting this big battle that said 10 years before or 10 years after a new uh, Revenge of the Sith and then 10 years before A New Hope people have been looking forward to Ewan McGregor coming back to this role and now they're starting to do press for the for the show so it's it's one step closer to actually hitting the streaming service and for people to see for the very first time and I think that one of the things about this show that is, I think, soothing, or not soothing, but I think is a big storyline going into the press the press tour for this is, especially for Ewan and, and, and Hayden, is the redemption or the evolution and the response to the prequel trilogy. Because this, more so than anything else, is very much connected to the prequels and then, of course, ties into the beginning of the original trilogy in A New Hope. And the reason that I think they're able to confidently cast Hayden Christensen again and are confident in Ewan McGregor coming back is because of the reception that the prequels have gotten over time and, and after the contentious reviews and criticism that they got when they first came out in the early 2000s, over the last decade or so, a lot more people have warmed up and people that are my age or a little bit younger or a little bit older grew up with those films and now we're more of young adults that are having our voices heard and and hearing the, 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 the response to those films that really, I think, were attracted for us and that was, for a lot of people, their Star Wars version. While people love the original trilogy that grew up with them, for a lot of younger kids in that time period, they grew up with the prequel trilogy, and they grew up with Ewan as Obi-Wan. They grew up with Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. So to see them back again, it's like when I think for older fans, when they saw Luke Skywalker come back, or Han, or Leia in the sequel trilogy. And so I just think the fact that they're able to get this kind of redemption tour for them, and that they're able to revel in the glory of Star Wars after everything that happened in episode one, two, and three is great. And Ewan talks about that a little bit when they were on their press tour to kind of begin. They were in Berlin was one of their first stops and Ewan got a question about the prequel trilogy and there was a fan there, I believe, saying that they were fans of the prequels. And this is what he had to say in, re in response to talking about that trilogy in that time period and, and the response since then. 
you were a kid about when our films came out. We sort of made them for you, and it was an off experience to make those movies. When you step into this world, it's a big deal. It's scary. Those films were critically not liked very much. What we didn't hear at the time was people your age, your generation. Those people really now love our films, but it's taken us 15 years to hear that. It's really nice. It's changed my relationship with Star Wars. It's different because of that, I think. We really put our heart and soul into them, and they were difficult to make. There was so much green screen and blue screen because George was pushing into this new realm that he has designed, that he was responsible for. He wanted to max out that technology, but that meant for us that we were very much on blue screens and green screens, and it was hard work to do that and be passionate about it. And then for the films to not be very well received was really tough. So it's really lovely to have that new relationship with them now. I hadn't seen them since they came out in preparation for the show. To watch them again was pretty cool. I like them. Episode 3 was a really good movie, and I have to agree with you, McGregor. I think when we talk about all-time great Star Wars films, I think a lot of people put Episode 3 up there and what it was able to do to transition from the that age of Star Wars into what we know the prequels to be and the, formi- the formation of the, the Empire and the, the reemergence of the Sith. And, and, and all those plot points that directly point to to the prequel trilogy. And so, again, to hear you and talk about that, I think from what I've always heard and, and, and what I've always felt when you look at the technology that is now being put into Star Wars, when you look at the, the volume and the stagecraft technology where you have all these LED screens and you're able to see everything for an actor, and I'm not an actor, but from what, what I hear from actors and when I hear from them from press and interviews, Whenever they work on that on that technology, they see everything. So when a director tells them when something's going on, they have a visual representation of what's happening. And looking at behind the scenes stuff, when you look at the prequel stuff, and again, Ewan says, and he and I think it respects what George was trying to do. But for an actor, it was always tough because when a, and when a director always says you got you're gonna have this stuff here and that stuff there, but it's all gonna be visually represented, and you have no markings for it whatsoever. All you have is a maybe. A a golf ball or a, a tennis ball that acts as the head of something that's going to be 10 times bigger than that, but you can't see it. For an actor, it's it's really tough to do that. And going from Ewan McGregor, who was already loved and one of the best things about the prequels, and I think that's why they were confident in having him back in this role, is also Hayden Christensen. And there were a lot of people that got a lot of brunt for the prequels. I mean, you talk about Ahmad Best for Jar Jar Banks, and when you hear the experiences that he went through, it's it's awful what he went through. And and the his his psyche when he had that and, and the fact that he almost took his life because of it and 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 it, and it didn't help his career but he's had a resurgence since then and then the same thing with with Jake Lloyd and, and and Hayden Christensen was somebody who didn't get into trouble but he was somebody who kind of took a break after Star Wars and 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 kind of went away for a long time until coming back for Obi-Wan Kenobi his first acting experience was working on these movies and to have that be your first experience where again you're working with all this green screen stuff and blue screen stuff again a lot of it was also dialogue and that is on him where he didn't deliver it the best way possible and he didn't have a lot of great chemistry with natalie portman and it it, it didn't it wasn't a great fit but also when you're working with all these cgi elements it's really tough as an actor, and if you're not being kind of coached and helped, and you're just kind of learning things on the spot, and you're not as seasoned as somebody like an Ewan McGregor or a Liam Neeson when he did episode one, or Samuel L. Jackson, it's gonna be a lot tougher. And so, it's again great to see that 
Hayden is able to revel in this more and get more positive reception. He talks about that with the prequels, and this is what he had to say about working on them. The experience of making the prequels was phenomenal. I mean, getting in to work with George Lucas and getting to play this character, I couldn't have dreamed it up any better. I didn't want it to end. It was a sad thing when it concluded. At the time, I thought that was that. I thought George had told this story and my journey with the character was completed. After all these years to get to come back and to continue my journey is extremely meaningful to me. And I'm sure, again, the fact that we're, people are celebrating episode two, Attack of the Clones, with its 20-year anniversary, and people are celebrating it, I think speaks to what people see in these characters again. And again, it's just great, I think, for a redemption tour for Ewan, but also with Hayden Christensen to do something great with this and to see the glory that Star Wars can bring as well and the positivity to that. And I think for both of them, the fact that they get to come back together, I think is a huge plus on both their parts that to come back to this franchise, they were able to kind of dive deep into it again in, in the same room and, and work together again. So I just think for both of them to kind of be on this redemption tour for audience members to enjoy it for them, that they can enjoy this now, I think is is great. And then to hear from them also about Obi-Wan and, and what they did in this in this show sounds great. I mean, when Hayden Christian talks about the 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 lightsaber duels, and that they're not going to be, it's not going to be the old-fashioned older guard lightsaber duels that you see in A New Hope. It, he says that you know we're we're not we're still spring chickens. That it's only ten years, and they still duel the same way that they dueled in episode three. So it seems like it's going to be more agility and we're going to get more acrobatics within these lightsaber fights, which I am looking forward to. And I think if you want to tell a cool epic duel between Vader and Kenobi again, you're going to have to kind of follow it up in that kind of a way. And he talks about also playing Darth Vader. And I think for him, that's also a thing that is going to be cool to see is somebody recognizable under that suit because we all know that James Earl Jones is the voice and we think of James Earl Jones when we think of Vader even though he's not in the costume we, we don't know it's it's some stunt actor stunt worker that's usually in the costume but to actually know that he's going to be in there and that we're going to see the assemblement of Darth Vader throughout the show and potentially flashbacks. It, it, it seems like he really had a lot to do within this show. So again, to see him really excited about coming back to see the, I think, peace that both of them have probably had with Star Wars and the prequel trilogy and that they enjoyed a lot more and that they're getting more positive feedback because of the generation that was affected by those movies and that people actually did enjoy them and that their work wasn't something that was just trashed and received poorly for the most part. They did stuff that was meaningful and I think they probably took that with them when doing Obi-Wan Kenobi. So to hear this response is amazing. I'm sure this is the last time we heard of it. I'm sure when we hear them talk more, especially in the States, when we hear them in press junkets and, and during the press tour, they'll be asked a lot more questions about it. I'm sure they'll be paired up together. I can't wait to hear more from Deborah Chow and about her experience with this. It, it, it's this is only the beginning of the press tour for this movie, and it just signifies that we're only two weeks away from this debuting 
on Friday, the first two episodes before they revert back to Wednesdays. And again, this is going to be huge. I think this is going to put up mega, mega numbers for Disney+. Plus. I would not be surprised if the server crashed on May 27th. I think this is going to be a mega event, unlike anything Disney has seen to initially start a Disney Plus product. I know things, when WandaVision kicked off, it became this phenomenon, and Moon Knight was big, and Mandalorian obviously became very big at the time when it was starting off. But in, again, in terms of pre-built-in hype, nothing has, be, has come closer to what Obi-Wan has in anticipation before an episode drops. So this is going to be big. It's already going to be a big weekend. Again, Top Gun Maverick, the first few episodes, the first part of Stranger Things Season 4. People who are fans of Bob's Burgers can go to the theaters to see that film. You also have, of course, the, the two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So Memorial Day weekend is going to be very, very heavy along with all the activities that includes going to the beaches, barbecuing, hanging out with family and friends, fireworks. It's just, it's going to be a great weekend and I cannot wait to see how it all unfolds during those couple of days. So are you guys excited about Obi-Wan Kenobi? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And with that sound and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals, geared toward including uh, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter, at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, at Pissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. Again, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. And also you can check out my YouTube channel at the Sam Bissell Podcast. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. Again, enjoy your weekend. If you're going out to the theaters again, enjoy Doctor Strange or whatever you see at the movies this weekend. And until next time, keep on screening. <laughs>